All right, today we'll be looking at part three in our economic series, talking about biblical principles of utilizing your money. And just to give you a little uh, hint up front, did you know the number one peop reason people don't want to go to church? It's about the money. When you think about money, you think about, uh, what would I say? You think about the means of exchange that you're involved in in the culture if you're an economist. But if you're a regular person, you're thinking about, do I have enough? And how much is enough? And how should I use it? And what does God think about it? And so when you think about it that way, you realize that we need answers from God on how to deal with this in an appropriate way. And I thought the best way to get started about talking about that in a practical way is to talk about the fact that God mentions money 2,000 times in the Bible, over 2,000 times. Now, I'll give you a perspective. He talks about uh, prayer about 500 times, and he talks about faith about 500 times, but he's talking about money over 2,000 times in the Bible. Why? Money or economics affects every single part of your life, and if you get that through your uh, through your head and through your thinking, you will be able to adjust and see that it can be a great tool and a beautiful thing to have, or it can be a great burden and a big problem. But you can't get out of this world without dealing with it every single day of your life. We've all of us have already been exposed to using money today. And every day we have to make decisions about it. And so I think that's why God wants to talk about it. And I want to deal with the misconceptions and hopefully give you some positive antidotes to those so that you can have a good Christian biblical worldview about money. So let me begin with the first one that uh, it seems like recently it's even more been more pronounced. And this misconception is that money is evil. So if you have money, you're a bad person. You probably did something, you know, borderline ethical to acquire it if you have a large sum. And there's something, you know, there's some shady going on here. And they really think that if you are concerned about money or you you have any regard for money that you're probably borderline sin or might just be flat out in sin and not know it. You've just scarred your own conscience. But the Bible says that here's the truth, that the love of money is the cause of all sorts of evil. Did you catch that? The love of money, not the money. That's important to see. There's a distinction there. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, the Bible says specifically, for the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. There it is. It's the root of all sorts of evil. It is not the source of evil. There's a root of it. And then he says, why? And some by longing for it, that would be the ninth and 10th commandment, stealing and coveting. Those two things, longing for it, that's what's being expressed in those commandments, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. And so here is the point that he's making here that I want you to see. When we love something, we make sacrifices for it. And when we love money, we sacrifice things for it, our time, our energy, our affection. Some people, their integrity, their honesty, their truthfulness, etc. So that's why it's dangerous. If you want to acquire it because you love it inordinately, you're going to take shortcuts, and those shortcuts can be very damaging. It can, ca it can cause me, as I'm looking at trying to acquire, in other words, that's the priority, then I'm going to sacrifice things for it. I'm going to make a shortcut. It can cause me to compromise my Christian values. That's why he says, by longing for it, you have wandered away from the faith. 
You're tempted to cheat on your taxes. You're tempted to uh, overbill your customers. You're tempted to take stupid or foolish or gambling risks with it. You're tempted to hedge on the truth when you're explaining things. You're just tempted not to be above board in dealing with it if you have an inordinate love for money. And that's why it's a problem. But worst of all, worst of all, When we love money, it chokes out our hunger for spiritual things. It has a natural tendency to displace our reliance on God into our reliance on our bank account. And then from that point, it become less and less interested in our relationship with God. Jesus talks about this temptation in Mark chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, when he says, people hear the gospel message, but they start worrying about the needs of this life. They are fooled by the desire to get rich and have all kinds of other things. So the message gets choked out and they never produce anything. Beautiful statement of a sad reality that you get so distracted in pursuing wealth, working overtime, doing other things that you never invest in anything great like the kingdom of God. You're too busy doing your work and pursuing your wealth, and it slowly chokes down your desire for and hunger for spiritual things. One, because you're worn out by it. Two, because you get a greater thrill from, uh, from pursuing the money. And three, you feel like you have more freedom because you have more, and you think you're in charge of your own life, and that's a delusion. God's in charge of your life, and it can get out of control quickly. All God has to do is bring in a disease, bring in an accident, bring in to a problem you weren't planning on, and all the money in the world means absolutely nothing. And sometimes God has to work that way to get people's attention. I'm not pointing fingers at anyone. I'm just saying that's how it works in real life. The second reason it's a problem is it can cause my life uh, lots of pain. He says, these people have pierced themselves through with many a pain. We lose our perspective and our conviction about doing right and wrong. Then the next thing we know, we're involved in something either immoral, illegal, foolish, destructive, dumb, you know, just a terrible situation. And we did it because we, we couldn't get our eye off the shiny object known as the pursuit of wealth, and we make bad decisions. I always think about the testimony of the Dallas player, Michael Irving. Many years ago, he became a Christian, or at least got serious about his Christian faith, and he told his story, and the essence of his story is, I was on top of the world. I'm on two Super Bowl teams. I am making all kinds of money. I have got all this gold and jewelry and everything. I'm chasing the chicks. I'm doing drugs. I'm Then I'm finding myself, uh-oh, I'm now getting thrown in jail. I'm having problems. All my relationships are falling apart. My life is spinning out of control. I'm a train wreck wherever I go. And everybody who knew Michael Irving in those days, even guys who weren't on the team, just regular fans like me or whoever else, they knew Michael Irving is just totally out of control. That guy's life is going to crash and he's going to have a horrible ending. And fortunately, a friend of his was able to talk sense into him and get his life back on track with Christ. And now he has a great and positive testimony. But it was the pursuit of the wealth and all the stuff that goes with it that ended up ruining his life. And he talked about it very often. Reminds me of the story of a rich man who comes to a rabbi and he says, I feel depressed and discouraged. I don't know what to do. And the rabbi says, look out the window. What do you see? And the guy says, I see some children playing. I see a kid riding a bike. I see a guy flying a kite with his kid, and he's just looking out the window and seeing all this stuff. I'm seeing boats and families and picnics. And he says, now I want you to look. The rabbi says, look into this mirror. Look in this mirror. What do you see? He says, I see me. 
And he said, well, what do you think the difference is between those two glasses, the glass mirror and the glass window that you looked out? And the guy says to him, I'm not sure. What do you think? And he said, you're depressed because the mirror has a silver lining. And the silver changes your perception on all of life. It causes you to only see you. The reason that you're depressed is because you're overly concerned about your money. Such a beautiful, beautiful story about how we can get everything out of perspective. Everything he saw out that window cost nothing. A kid playing with a kite, riding his bike, having a picnic with his family, these things, they cost nothing. And that's the moral of the story. It can cause you to lose the better things in life. And then finally, we just talked about it a bit, it can create a false sense of security. And that's why he says in verse 17, not to fix your hope on, quote, the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. No amount of money can keep you from cancer, death, an accident, an earthquake, tornado, whatever. It can't do it. You... Nothing in this world can make you secure other than your relationship with God. And that's why in Proverbs 11:4 the Bible says, riches do not profit in the day of wrath. That means the day of God's judgment. You don't, you want, your bank account doesn't help in that time. And in chapter 11, verse 28, he says, he who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. In other words, when you're focused on doing right and having a right relationship with God, you don't have to worry about the future. It'll be taken care of, and especially the final judgment. But if you're trusting in your wealth, eventually you're going to run into problems. And finally, it can cause me to burn out emotionally. In Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5, it says, Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth... For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies towards the heaven. As one guy says, money talks, and most of the time it says goodbye. <laughs> and isn't that the truth? We accumulate money to keep ourselves secure, and then we spend most of our time trying to secure the money we have. And we, we worry about it, fuss about it, and, and look over it because we put too much emphasis on it. So the, first, the whole first mis misconception is money is not evil. It is the love of money that distorts everything and is evil and is corrupting in your life. If you're inordinately given to the pursuit of wealth, then you have to make some adjustments there. But if everything is in its proper priority structure, then it's a gift from God, and we'll see. Number two, the second misconception is it is a sin to be rich, that if you have material goods that others don't have, then there's something wrong with you. You either need to give it all away or something like that. But Proverbs 10 verse 22 says this, it is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and he adds no sorrow to it. And the point of that proverb is there's a way to get rich and it leads to lots of sorrow. That's taking shortcuts, doing bad things. We just talked about it, right? And then there's another way and that's to do it God's way. And when he chooses to bless you, there's no sorrow associated. There's a sense of great joy and satisfaction. It's not a sin to be wealthy. Envy is a sin, which usually promotes the wrong kind of thinking. And if it were a sin to be wealthy, then why does God tell us that he is the one who makes us wealthy if we're pursuing righteousness? The truth is, 
Many God-honoring people in the Bible were rich, and sometimes they were even given those riches by God, whether it be Solomon or Abraham, or I could go down the list of the people in the Bible who did well financially. And here's the principle, very simply. A God-honoring person is a God-honoring person, whether he's rich or poor. It has nothing to do with his wealth. Misconception number three, people who are wealthy are miserable. (laughs) Ah, that's not always true. Can be, but it's not always true. I have said recently, and I found this to be true, every single person I know who is a trust fund child that I've ever met growing up and through my life experience is a very unhappy person. It's not because they have a lot of money. It's because they did nothing to earn it, and so they don't know what to do with themselves. They are completely almost, they're almost infantile because everything's just handed to them. They can't function hardly and their life is extremely boring. And so they try to find things to do with their time. And that ends up into getting into trouble. And because they have this endless stream of money, they can be irresponsible and that leads to chaos. It's kind of almost the, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Ecclesiastes 5, 19 and 20 puts it this way. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, who? God gave him riches and wealth. He has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. So when God gives you wealth, it's a byproduct of laboring, and that's part of God's gift of the process. This is the gift of God, he says in verse 19. Verse 20, for he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. There's a sense of great accomplishment when you've worked hard, your labor pays off, God blesses you, and you're now surrounded with the results of those blessings. It reminds you of the goodness of God if you pursued this the right way the entire time. So my encouragement is always godly guys and gals pursue being as successful financially as you possibly can be, making sure that God is number one in your life at all times. Don't compromise that. If you start to compromise that even a little bit, you need to back off. You're getting in the wrong territory. But you should pursue that because the fruit of your your hands brings joy to your life. And when God is smiling upon your life while you do that, it, it creates great, great satisfaction. And... So the truth is, people are miserable when they don't trust God, whether they're rich or they're poor. That's the bottom line here. Many blessings, it says, uh, many blessings are given to those who trust the Lord and have no confidence in those who are proud or who trust in idols. That's a living Bible translation. Misconception number four, it's a sin to be poor. (laughs) This is the name it and claim it side. Uh, But the Bible says in 1 Samuel 2, verse 7, the Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low and he exalts. In other words, ultimately, God is the one who will determine the course of your life. Your job is to be faithful and pursue his will. And for some people, he leads them into a path that isn't surrounded by a lot of financial resources. And that's perfectly okay. That's perfectly fine because their joy and delight is in the Lord and others, he will lead them into great financial resources and their temptation is to not find their joy in the Lord. But if they do, they'll be used by God in a different way. He's gonna use all of us based on our faithfulness to his calling in our life. But it is God who puts us in these places ultimately. It's not a sin to be poor. Unfortunately, many people do associate poverty with, with sin because part, how do I say this? 
sometimes, sometimes, not always, sometimes irresponsible behavior is the root of their poverty. And the good news is that can be rectified through repentance and then become a more responsible person, live their life on the principles of God's Word, and they'll find greater success. And so here's the truth. It's a sin to be discontent and ungrateful. That's where the sin is, whether you're rich or poor. That's the issue. That's why he says in 1 Timothy 6, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. And if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. If you have the basics in life, be content. God has provided that for you. Enjoy it and move forward enjoying your life. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Misconception number five, it's my money. <laughs> Psalm 50, verses 10 to 12, put it this way, for every beast of the forest is mine, and that's God speaking, the cattle on a thousand hills. God says, I know every bird of the mountains and everything that moves in the field, it's mine. Verse 12, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. <laughs> For the world is mine and all it contains, end quote. What's the point? One of the biggest mistakes people make in this life is to think what they have, they got for themselves, and therefore they own it all. And God says he owns everything, including me and my wealth. The truth is God owns me and my money. Why? Because he gave me the ability to make the money. And Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 17 and 18, God's word warns us, Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and my strength and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord, Yahweh, your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, end quote. God has given you the gift. God has given you the capacity. God has set up the relationships that has given you the resources necessary for you to be successful financially. And if you ever lose sight of that, you are in sin against God. That's what he's saying. And then in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, it says, what are you so puffed up about? Why do you have, what, uh, why do you have that God, what do you have that God hasn't given you? And if all you have is from God, why act as though you are so great and as though you have accomplished something on your own? In other words, that's a New Living translation of that passage. His whole point is, everything you have is a byproduct of the way God made you. So be grateful to God. Understand he's the source of everything you have. And that's why he says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And then in Psalm 100, verse three, know the Lord himself is God, that he, he it is who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. I am a manager, not an owner. I belong to God, not to myself. Misconception number six, to be really spiritual, I have to give it all away. And I, I, I've had so many conversations with people about this. It is almost exactly back, backwards. Let me just address this one misunderstanding right now, and then I'll get into more detail. If you give it all away, then what are you going to live on? You're going to mooch off someone else? Is that the whole goal here? I'll give it all away so I don't have anything, so then I'll have to mooch off everybody else? That's not a good, that's not a good life plan. Just think about it for a second. Not a good life plan. You need to be wise in all of this. This is what God's word says. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited. It doesn't make you better than anybody else because you have more money. Or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. In other words, don't put your trust in your riches, but on God, is what it says, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. 
God has given us this stuff so that we can enjoy them. And then he says, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. In other words, what you're supposed to do is enjoy the wealth, understand it's a gift from God, and be generous with it with other people. You don't have to give it all away. In fact, you should strategically think how you want to manage the, the distribution of the resources that God gave you. But to put yourself into poverty and thinking you're doing something smart, that's not smart at all. Secondly, it doesn't make you more spiritual. In fact, I'll just leave it at that. It doesn't make you more spiritual. That You can be very spiritual, a wealthy, generous Christian, and there's no problem being in that category, and that's a good thing to be. The truth is God wants me to use my wealth to accomplish his purposes, and that means, number one, put my hope in God who gives me this wealth to enjoy. Secondly, you're storing up a foundation for the future. What's the future? Heaven. You can't take your money with you, but you can send it up ahead of time. If you're generous with the resources God's entrusted you, it means you're a faithful steward. You'll be rewarded for your faithfulness. And Jesus tells us how to do that. And this is a great encouragement. It says in Luke 16, verse 9, Jesus says this, I tell you, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Hello? Make friends, be generous, attract people through generosity and make friends that way. He says, in this way, your generosity stores up a reward for you in heaven. What does that mean? It means if God has blessed you and you have a beautiful home, open your home to other people, throw parties, enjoy, have people come over and enjoy your home with you so that you have the ability to build friendships and those friendships lead to an opportunity for the gospel. If you have a boat, invite people to come on the boat and go on a boat ride with you. Again, you're trying to build relationships so that you can share the gospel with them eventually. Whatever the resource is, whatever the advantage is, whatever the the financial uh uh, excess that you have, use that strategically to grow the kingdom of God and help people experience the benefits of God's generosity in your life. Because that e- e- even in their midst of that, their heart will be more open to the gospel because they see a generous Christian being sharing with other people and that, that will impact them and in a positive way. Uh, Then the seventh misconception is this. If I just had a little bit more money, I'd be satisfied. And we all know the truth is money can't satisfy. Only a relationship with God can. Money never satisfies. We found money on the satisfaction factor. Here's how it works. If you don't have enough money, life is difficult. It's difficult. You're scrapping and scraping and trying everything to hold it together. It's very painful. If you have an abundance of money, it doesn't take all the, the, the other pains away. You still have to deal with life. You still have to deal with your spouse, your kids, your friends, your job, whatever it is. It doesn't remove any of that. So all it does is provide a distraction at the best end. It doesn't really provide any kind of satisfaction. It is just, what do I say? It's a, it's a, it's a useful tool that gives you opportunities and options you don't have without it, but it doesn't provide satisfaction in itself. It's kind of empty on that. And when someone dedicates their life to that, they end up seeing, and they, I mean, I've even talked to guys say this, you know, I've gotten to a point where I, I don't need to work anymore, but I want to know what to do with myself. Yeah, you, you have the wealth, but now what? 
you're going to leave your job where you have relationships, where you have an opportunity, a built-in harb, uh, a built-in field for the gospel, and ability to build relationships. What are you going to do? Sit around all day? What, you, oh, I know what it is. I'm going to get an RV and I'm going to travel the country. Great, and that gets boring after a while. Now, what are you going to do? I've talked to many guys about this kind of stuff. Uh, when I'm riding bikes, I ask them these questions, and they all come up with the same just pool of answers. They really don't know because they know the wealth that they have is not satisfying. It, it wasn't ever meant to be. It's to be used as a tool. And when you use the tool the way God wants us to, to invest in, in the kingdom, to show generosity to others, and to enjoy it with other people, building these relationships that are redemptive, then it's a wonderful thing. It's an enjoyable thing. And you can have great experiences with your family and things like that. Now that's a good use of your money. But the money by itself, what do you do? You just watch numbers go up in a bank account or something? It doesn't mean anything. It ha- is very dissatisfying. That's why Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, from the richest man that ever lived, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money nor he who loves abundance with its income, because this too is vanity. This too is vanity. The bottom line is satisfaction in life only comes from my relationship with God where I'm deeply, deeply connected to him. That's why I love Psalm 73, verses 25 to 28, where the scriptures say, Whom have I in heaven but you, Lord? And besides you, I desire nothing on the earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, and they will. But God is the strength of my heart, and he is my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of my God is my good, and I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of your good works. And that's exactly where we want to be every single day, wherever we are on the economic scale. We want to be close to God. So and if you get your arms around these seven misconceptions and actually buy into the truth side of it, it is the truth that is going to set you free. And so my hope and prayer for you is this coming year is that you won't be startled or bothered or distracted about these uh, misunderstandings about money, but understand that it's a real blessing in your life. God wants you to have it and to enjoy it. He wants you to use it to advance his kingdom, and he wants you to not misplace its value in your life. It's only a tool. And if you keep that in the forefront of your mind, then when you're thinking about managing it, it gets a lot easier and you don't have all these conflicts and pressures in your heart and your mind. So I just want to leave you with this one simple question, and that is this. Is your life empty? Do you have all the stuff you could possibly have and still you aren't satisfied? Or maybe you don't have anything and you're not satisfied and you think if you get it, you're going to get satisfied and you're finding that that's not paying off very well either. Well, the answer may be that there is a hole in your heart that's vacant, and that is vacancy is because that's where Christ belongs. You may be a Christian, you may not be a Christian, but unless Christ is at the center of your heart and he is what you desire more than anything else, you will never be satisfied in this life. I encourage you to pursue a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Just say, come into my life, take away my sin, reconcile my relationship with God the Father, I want you to be the Lord of my life. And from this day forward, I'm going to follow you regardless of the cost. If you sincerely make that bargain with Christ, he will fill you with his spirit. He will be born again. And if you're already a Christian, you'll be refilled with the spirit because it's been quenched and grieved by you living a self-centered life. And you'll find the real joy and fruit that comes from living your life for the glory of God and the good of others with a generous spirit. God bless you.